You are listening to the Alpha Buddha Podcast, bringing you the best from the top minds in personal development pertaining to the positive psychology, romance, fitness, and finances. In this episode, I am joined by Liam O'Neill, life coach, business consultant, and his goal is to help individuals and companies understand that limitations are nothing more than a mirage by challenging their limitations and expanding their belief on what's possible. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So Liam, you were telling me earlier that you have a message that resilience is something that's in very small supply these days, that people just have a tendency to just give up too easily when the going gets tough. Could you explain a little bit more about that for our listeners? Yeah, I think that through things like social media and people's expectations of life, they've changed what they think is possible in, in the time frame that they think it's possible in. So if they see, if we use social media as an example, they see someone who's like 6% body fat and ripped to shreds right. and they think they walk around like that the whole time. So then they go to the gym and they try it for themselves and they do it about two or three weeks. They don't get the results so they just quit. Yeah. So they're not they're not mentally strong enough to realize that one, that person could be lying and two, that they have to put in consistent work. And I think that crosses over any situation, relationships, money, work, business, anything. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The, well, what a lot of people don't realize about social media is it's not real life. It's a highlight reel. People yeah. are not showing all of the pitfalls, all of the failures, all of the depression, all of the, the struggle that got them to that 6% body fat or that perfect figure or that multi-million dollar mansion that they're, you know, lounging about uh, nearby the poolside and stuff like that or on the private jets. They don't see when they were broke college students struggling to just make the next you know rent payment and having all the naysayers around them telling them that they're wasting their time they should just get a real job like they nobody wants to show that part of their life yeah because it's not it's not glamorous and it's not cool and people aren't going to sign up to that like whenever i first became a qualified martial artist and i talked about this a lot and and other things that i did for a long time i avoided telling people that i lived on rice and red sauce for about seven months that was what i ate if you've ever tried that it's it's horrible but that was all i could afford rice from a, a store and then i borrowed red sauce from mcdonald's so mm. sometimes you, you have to because i've went through that sort of thing and obviously different things in my past it makes you more resilient because you have to fight through whereas mm. um, a lot of people are very expectant they expect to be just handed stuff they expect to get the mansion get the six-pack get the girl get everything just handed to them and because of that they don't understand what it's like to be put down or to not be allowed or to just not achieve straight away mm. and what what factor do you think plays into that with the victim mindset because the it seems to me especially people of my generation that we're all competing to be winners in the victim olympics that we want to blame everything and everyone else for our problems as opposed to trying to take on the blame ourselves and take responsibility, even maybe when it's not directly our fault. I think that, again, because of the generation of growing up with social media and seeing everyone's highlight reel, you, you can't achieve what they've achieved, so you mm. can't be the best at that, so you can be the best at being the worst. The reason I'm not achieving yeah, what yeah, you yeah. achieved is because my life is so bad, so... Like when someone says like oh my dog died like the other person's two of their dogs died and someone else then they they just keep adding and adding on it because Mm. it's just they can't get the attention from being super awesome but you still get a lot of attention from being awesome at being the worst that makes right 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 there's there's i don't know if you're familiar with this but there is a movement called black pill have you ever heard of black pill i have not Okay, well, it's a derivative of red pill philosophy. Um, to summarize that, that the the founders of this philosophy was a author by the name of Rollo Tomasi and a few other 
big um, personal development influencers. They were talking about the real social dynamics between men and women that was gathered in the field by like pickup artists and people who are actually interacting with women a lot and understanding that the way women actually behave is not in accordance to the social narrative as far as be the nice guy, win her affection by being so kind and so sweet, and then live happily ever after. But in reality, women are looking for a certain set of traits, personality traits that they find that are highly attractive. And men who can exhibit those personality traits do very well with women. That was the, the kind of the the essence of the red pill philosophy. The black pill philosophy says discounts all of that and says, no, 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 no. Your personality, your confidence, your physique, your status, your how well you've done in life has nothing to do with your level of attractiveness. Your only level of attractiveness to a woman is your looks. How you look is the only thing that matters. So if you don't look like the top 2%, like you don't look like a male model, you're screwed and you have no chance with women. And it's like, okay, uh, that's a total cop out, my guy. Yeah. Sorry to tell you because me, myself, I'm known to top 2% and I do just fine. So somehow the math doesn't add up there. And these guys, the, on the outside, they sound sincere. They sound genuine that they're really just victims of the genetic lottery as opposed to taking responsibility and saying, well, this is the hand that I was dealt. What can I do with it? Because maybe maybe you'll never be at the top 2%, but you can still have a happy and fulfilling life despite that fact. Yeah. Because this is audio, I'm going to claim I'm in the top 2%. <laughs> Nobody can see me, so it doesn't matter. Right, but right. I think it, it comes back down to people need an excuse. And if you have a, a legitimate excuse by an authority figure, then my life's shit for the reason that it's just how, how it works. That guy said that I'm not in the top 2%. It's why I can't get women or it's why I can't get the job or it's why I don't have friends. And... Right. I don't know about cursing on this, but sometimes you have to tell people, well, one of the main reasons you don't get any of those is because you're an asshole. It's nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything else. So you're you're not getting the, the job because when you landed to the interview, you didn't make the effort to look like someone employable because you thought, I'm not going to get it anyway. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You won't get the woman because you don't approach them politely or, or in a genuine way. You approach them with the intention of, them um, blowing you out so you go with the the approach that they think they're better than me instead of they're just two human beings so I think again people will jump on the black pill because it just gives you such a legitimate reason why you're feeling yeah yeah it it feeds into that victim mindset and look I get it they're they're when when guys are shorter and just aesthetically less attractive than the top two percent it's harder but from what my experiences demonstrated to me is that if you're a really good-looking guy you will get more opportunities to talk to women but you will not necessarily gain the opportunity to keep their attention or have it go any further because maybe they'll they'll like the the outside of the the, the cover of the book Right. But when they crack the that, that thing open and see that there's nothing but nonsense in the side, uh, well, then you're out of luck. And yeah. I know that maybe there's some black pill listeners and saying, no, 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 no. Looks are the only thing that matters. Like, well, uh, uh, um, no, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> definitely the, not. The top two percent, I feel, have more chance of speaking to women because of confidence. They, they're confident in talking to people. Mm. So they will go and like I've spent time with pickup artists through different um whenever i was learning hypnotherapy and stuff we went out i learned stage hypnosis first so we went out and did street hypnosis for people and became friendly with a few pickup artists and they what i really admired about them was they take nothing personally so they would just go up they'd get knocked back and then they would take not they would just move on whereas most people take a knockback as as if they're like knocking back their soul but mm-hmm. if i 
if I go into a bar and I chat to a, a woman, for example, and she turns me down, she's turning down my looks and my approach and what I right. said. She right. doesn't know my personality. She exactly. doesn't know what I do or anything. So exactly. why would I take that personally? Exactly. And you probably have listeners that have talked to men or women and they they find them attractive and they talk to them and they're they're nice and they, they have a good approach. But then, like you said, about they open the book and there's just nonsense. So right. you, you can end up finding someone that's really good looking or, or you're really attracted to, but there's nothing there. And then the other way you can get right. talking to someone you're not very attracted to, but then you become attracted to their personality. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Like there, there, this is a great analogy that I heard. This was given to me by one of my mentors. He was saying, Sonny, do you know what a truffle is? And it's like, yeah, it's this weird amorphous fungus thing that looks like a piece of crap. And he's like, yeah, do you know how much it's worth? I was like, well, yeah, they're worth boatloads. What's your point? It's like, well, how do you know that they're worth boatloads? It's like, well, because you find them in fancy stores and people say that that's what they're worth. It's like, yeah, but if you just saw that in the wild and nobody told you what that was, would you not understand its value by just by its appearance? No. So the packaging is not as important as the marketing marketing yeah. is king and this is something that a lot of people don't understand that when it comes to being successful in life and this has to do with dating and especially has to do with business marketing and reach will always win over the like the even the product quality so product quality in this case could be your fitness your aesthetics uh, or even your personality just getting out there making more approaches, talking to more people, talking to more women will gain you so much more success than trying to be that guy who just only goes after the the fights that he thinks he can win, figuratively speaking. You, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Uh, you, so, you, need to, you need to jump into it all. The more you do it, like uh, as a magician, I would always tell any of the students I had for magic, I would have always told them to like read The, the Game by Neil Strauss. Right. Because just read the approach bit, so you learn how to approach people in such a way that you don't put them on defense. If I'm working a gig as a magician, and I go over to your table and you're all in the defense, then it's not going to work. And I think the same thing happens when people go out to uh, meet their girlfriend or meet a boyfriend or whatever it is. They're trying to find a new partner. They're so afraid of approaching that whenever they do, they they mumble through it. They they're afraid. They Right. They're not themselves. They think they try to be what they think that person wants, even though they know nothing about that person. Right. Or they do the worst thing and they drink a load of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've seen that happen too. Yeah. I have a and, saying uh, with people that, like, you wouldn't go to your nearest store. You wouldn't get drunk. Go to your nearest store and buy a toaster. But you think you can get drunk <laughs> to go and find your life partner? So I think that's <laughs> that's, that's actually. A very interesting uh, analogy. I like that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, you were also telling me earlier um, how you were overcoming some adversity when you were living in the UK. Uh, would yeah. you like to share a bit about that? So whenever I I left school completely uh, with nothing, no qualifications, I was basically told that. First, I was told I would not be allowed back in the school for sixth or seventh grade, or sixth or seventh form. Right. And then I was told that I would be in jail or the army by the time I was 18. So I had no qualifications. I ended up finding a Kung Fu magazine in the shop I worked in and decided I was just going to learn Kung Fu. It just Something clicked with me and I was like, that's what I want to do. So I studied Kung Fu for a few years, then moved to London. What, what, discipline, what discipline of Kung Fu? So I did Shaolin uh, Tiger and Korean system. Wow. So I used it in Tai Chi, actually to the point that I'm the highest graded in this country in the two arts that I study. Uh, I was a British champion fighter for a while and uh, competed a few times through the year as well. But I lived in London and when I lived there I couldn't afford, like I was so poor, I couldn't afford anything. I lived on rice and red sauce Mm. and I used to have to walk everywhere because I couldn't even afford the but the train was two two pound which would be about two and a half dollars mm. right uh, 
I couldn't afford it. Sometimes I would jump on and because there's not many trains in Ireland, I could lag my way by talking about how I didn't know you had to pay for trains and put a real <laughs> thick accent on and they'd leave me alone. But uh, just since we're talking about resilience and coming through adversity, there was one time I was walking home past the, I had to walk past the train station to get home and two boys came out of the alleyway, one of either side of me and like just joined me side by side and grabbed a hold of me but they didn't stop me when they held me they, they whenever people grab you they expect you just to stop so i'm all about interrupting patterns and and because i teach a lot of meditation i meditate three times a day oh. i was able to stay very calm so i continued walking at my pace so they walked with me and they started to threaten to shank me they told me it uh, they were going to shank me a couple times so I just continued to walk and I hadn't spoke yet and then one of them said at the end of the day you're going to get shanked bro and again through having been in situations before and, and learning how to control my adrenaline I said so he said at the end of the, the day you're going to get shanked bro and I said at the end of the day it's night and just that statement mm. complete, completely it disrupted through. their pattern completely and they, they were trying to work out what does he mean by at the end of the wow. day it's night and the next statement <laughs> I got to say was the next thing I said was do you now realize we're out in the open so whenever you're so that, so then once we got out in the open they turned and ran away so I, I actually headed on and that was I was on my way to my third grading wow. so I landed late to my grading for Kung Fu and my instructor was like where were you and I was like two boys tried to mug me on the way here so the, the, for me, what was weird was people, they had no understanding of what was going on, really. They had a plan to mug somebody. They figured it was just going to be easy. And then when it didn't go to plan, they, they couldn't mm. uh, change what they were doing. Because if they had a looked at me, I was dressed. In my, I was going to grade, so I was dressed in my full kung fu gear. Like, <laughs> I'm a skinhead with tattoos. They, and... they tried They tried to mug Bruce Lee. <laughs> the Irish much. Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they were so focused on on their goal of mugging me that they, they couldn't make any shifts and change it. Like, wow. if you turned it around, if it was me and I was going to mug someone and they started talking, as they continued to walk, I would change my approach to stop them. And I think that that, that filters into what we've been talking about here is people get so focused on the end result like the like say we were talking about getting a new partner or whatever it is that they can't make many changes so then it, they feel because it, it didn't work exactly how they had planned which nothing really ever does but if you haven't got the resilience to make a change and just and work out that like this isn't working, I need to make a, a change now, otherwise it's all going to fall apart. It will eventually fall apart. And that's what happened with me when I studied Kung Fu. I wanted to be a martial arts instructor, that was my life. And then I met loads of masters. I trained under like about 20 different masters in different fields. And I realized that they didn't live the life I wanted. Yes, they were Kung Fu experts, but they had no I want to have a nice lifestyle as well I want to be able to afford mm. things I want to be able to go on holiday I want to be able to take time out for myself when I want to right so I changed the full the, package yeah and I, I had this goal that was I dedicated my life to it 16 hours a day I was just doing this and then all of a sudden I sat down with myself and was like this is not what you want you don't want to live in a wee shack teaching like people don't want like when I first started I sat maybe up to six hours a day and in a little horse stance throwing punches. People nowadays don't want to do that. They want to learn how to look cool or they want to learn how to fight for real. They don't want to stand in a shallow post throwing punches. Right. So I think for the more you're you're the more you're comfortable in yourself, the more resilient you'll become because you're not afraid of failure. You actually learn from it. So you'll You'll move towards a goal. It, it'll stop. If it's not working, you'll be able to make changes. You'll not just think, oh, that didn't work. That means this doesn't work for everyone. I'm terrible. I give up. You actually will change as you go. Oh. And try not that, to walk down alleyways. And, that's and that's really interesting. I, 
I heard a very similar lesson um, from another Irishman. Uh, you'll never believe who it is when I tell you. <laughs> but I, I actually met him in Dublin before he was famous. Conor McGregor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who who he was back then? I don't even recognize him today. Yeah, and um, it took a while when when I was talking to him because I was doing a little like, fundraising project in Dublin, and I stopped him on the street. He was uh, visiting his mom, or some family member in the neighborhood, and he he had no interest in contributing to the fundraiser, which is fine. Like I, I don't hold that against him, but. We got to talking, and it took a while for him to open up and tell me of what he did. Because for some reason, he was, like, shy about the fact that he was a martial artist at that time. Um, and he was saying, oh, it's, it's really violent, da-da-da. Have you ever heard of um, Ultimate Fighting? And I was like, hell yeah, I've heard of Ultimate Fighting. That's awesome. And he's yeah. like, yeah, well, you know, I, I trained a bit in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and I know, like, uh, Muay Thai, and, um, you know, right now I'm a semi-pro. And I'm hoping that one day I can go pro. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you literally kick ass for a living. Like, you're, you're like every young man's dream. I was like, and what's, what's that like? He's like, well, you know, um, I have, an, I have, I'm making enough where I can buy, like, whatever I want within reason. And, you know, as far as the girls, I didn't know that he had a girlfriend at the time, but he was, I guess he was playing off that he was like, the the pimp daddy or whatever he was saying that like he got you know he really enjoyed the attention from the women at first but then he got sick of it because he said that they were just trying to use him and he was trying to use them and he said at the end of the day he just wanted somebody who loved him for him that's all he really wanted and it's really interesting to see how somebody who can have that point of clarity and wisdom can kind of forget that further on down the line because he i don't know how much of his persona is who he who he really is behind the scenes but he seems to be a very different person now especially like uh you know after punching that old dude in the in the old guy in the pub um he just doesn't really seem all that stable but before he was big he was a pretty chill person to say would, the least i would say the the pressure that he would be under would be immense and mm. like I'm not advocating that you should punch old men in bars but I did 13 years of bar work and I can fully understand why anybody would punch anybody in a bar because <laughs> sometimes people just grind on you and, and grind and right. grind until obviously it's a regrettable act but it's something that you can imagine if you were drinking all day and someone was grinding at you and grinding at you and grinding at you, you would you could eventually flip in some manner. But um, I would say that the it would happen to anyone if you were like you met him in the street and didn't know who he was. Right. To know to know he could be standing in the middle of a field and the farmer would know who he like he just Right, right. So there's the, the pressure that, that sort of lifestyle would bring, I would say would be uh, incredible. On an interesting note, me and Connor have the same tailor. Really? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so all when I talk on stage, all of my suits are custom made, uh, and they're, they're made by D. Graham, who's okay. He remember the the infamous jacket he wore. Where he, he when was that? A few years. Well, you'd see it if you look it up. There's loads of different uh, jackets right. and stuff, and, and you'll see pictures of him and D. But yeah, that was quite funny when I landed in to get my my suits and all made and I was like right. pictures of him everywhere with him yeah yeah I remember you were talking about that in one of your last podcasts about how you were having your suits let out because you were bulking up yes yeah, what, so, you, what you said yeah so I I turned plant-based about a year ago okay. and whatever you go I'm an unethical vegan would be the easiest way to put it I, I didn't right. do it for any ethical reasons I did it for health and I was told, so since this is about resilience, I was told my whole life I would always be skinny. I would never, doctors, other PTs, trainers, they always said you'll never put on weight because your metabolism's too high, you're too active. And then I got bloods done one day just to see, I just wanted to see how fit I actually was. I was like, right. I'm super fit, let's find out. And the doctor came back and was like, oh, 
your thyroid's overactive. Wow. Like, right? And I go, so that sort of is another, like that explains why you'll never put weight on. You've overacted. So I was given, told by authority figures I would never achieve a goal I had. They give me a, a fully legitimate excuse. Medically, you can't do this. Mm. And then at the start of the year, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try to see what happens. So I changed up my training and I just started consuming far more calories. And I started the year at 913. Right. I got up to 11 stone seven, and now I dropped. I did a, a weight cut there to 11 stone, and now I'm going back up again. So, right. again, if I was a normal human, that would have been enough information for me to go. Well, that's a goal I'll never achieve. I can just. And if anyone ever said to me, "You're wild skinny," I could go, "My thyroid's overactive." Like you wouldn't mm. say, "You're wild fat," right. if I had an underactive thyroid. I think that's right. a weird thing in, in society as well. You can call anybody you want skinny. Tell them they're too skinny, they're too slim. You should put weight on. Have you lost weight? Right. If you went and said to an overweight person, you're well fat. Right. Like you're that's, the, you're that's rude. You can't say is, that. That's rude. Yeah, yeah. Use the F word. How dare you? Yeah. So <laughs> I think, again, society's ideas and, and authorities' ideas and stuff, if you trust in yourself and what you can do, like limitationism arise, that's the name of my book. Right. It's, uh, I named it that because it spells my name L I A M. Limitation is a mirage. Genius. That's and, really clever. <laughs> um, but I, it's because I believe it. Like my my stage persona and my social media persona is, it's basically me. But I go by the prove it guy. So I talk about how everything I do, like you've seen my TED talk, all the things I do right. in it, you can do as well, and I'll prove you can do it by by teaching you if you believe in yourself. Right. Well, could you summarize for our listeners a couple of the bullet points from your TED talk? Because I saw I saw the the it, but you know, not everybody here had a chance to witness that. They should so go back. Just, and, they should go back write... and watch it. Uh, <laughs> so the 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 name of the talk was "Limitation Is a Mirage," and it was about I tried to hit a few points that people like people believe they can do a certain amount of stuff so i i believe you can do anything you put your mind to within reason and even within reason i try to push as well so i opened by taking a plastic chopstick and pushing it into my throat and then smashing it off my throat so it just explodes so that that was impressive so when i asked everyone thinks i'm going to die or get injured so when i do that it shows again that you all thought this wouldn't work, this was a terrible idea, and here I am still finishing my talk. Um, I work a lot with pain and how pain is just a message. Like, for example, if you've ever seen a child with a cut knee and you right. say to the child, oh, your knee's bleeding, what happened? They look at the knee and then they burst into tears and it's the right. worst thing ever. But until you pointed it out, the body didn't need to care because it wasn't that That's bad. That's true. That's so true. The, pain, pain is rather subjective. That's true. Yeah. It is. So so that way, so I show that by letting my brother come on stage and kicking me in the groin. Wow. So again, that would either at least high pitch my voice, if not stop the whole conversation. And then I prove that I can not manipulate people, but persuade them to do anything I want within reason if I have an understanding of who they are right now so, I think I think that I saw in the the comments of that TED talk maybe some people were skeptical thinking that you were wearing a cup or something but that was like the real deal yeah when I kick you in the groin I offer every time and it's only ever happened once but I always offer if you want to come and check <laughs> you're more than welcome to check I've only had one person ever check me but wow. um the the for me the point is that like in, in kung fu it's called iron eggs that's the actual uh-huh. name of the technique you can you're, you're controlling your body so um in the if i've done martial arts for a long time and i've wore a cup a lot in sport right. if anyone believes it's a cup please put a cup on and let someone kick you in the in the groin Please video it and tag me in it because it's it's brutal. It's, it still doesn't feel good. I, I've yeah. I've experienced that in when I was going to like a junior karate. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel good. Yeah, it's the same as wearing a headguard. People think a headguard is protection. Yeah. Headguard protects 
the opponent's knuckles against your skull and right. protects you from bruising. It doesn't stop your head bouncing around in there. And same as uh, MMA gloves. The reason people think MMA gloves are, are too dangerous, they're too small. An MMA glove is small enough that you won't do like too much punching to solid areas because you'll damage yourself, whereas you will with a 16-ounce boxing glove. Right. Right. Yeah, I was hearing an argument about that with Joe Rogan's podcast, where he was saying that, like, because the the 16-ounce gloves are so cushiony, people take way more hits than they otherwise would with yeah. that thinner glove that would otherwise knock them out. So they actually get more brain damage from that repetitive, concussive uh, impact. Yeah. People yeah. think that the brain damage is from hitting the skull. It's not from that. You can... You can cause brain damage by a good body shot if you're good enough because it oh. rocks the brain within the head. So there's the brain floats in the head, so it has somewhere to bounce about. So it's right. why they always say when you learn martial arts, the more you the more you learn it, the less you want to do in real life. And for <laughs> me, that's true. And one of the reasons is because you understand how much damage you can cause and how like easy someone can lose a life. Like I think it's it's crazy people that aren't trained are willing to fight on a street like it's mm. just it's just yeah. madness for me so i yeah. think that's, that's that is crazy. that is pretty intense and uh yeah so before we get too much off on this tangent because <laughs> I, I love talking about martial arts um i talk about it all day well it fits in <laughs> I, with resilience it's why oh, I, I suggest everyone should learn martial arts so I wanted to. I also wanted to add to what you were talking about earlier when you got mugged. I have a a my own mugging story in um, in Glasgow, Scotland. So I was uh, again kicking around in some neighborhood way too late, um, doing an, another door to door campaign uh, for an NGO I was working for by the name of STF which stands for the special task force. It was like a youth leadership training program. Anyway. Um, so I just finished knocking on this door and I turn around and there's a couple of hooligans standing at the, the edge of the street or edge of the, the, the sidewalk waiting for me. And I just wanted to walk past them and they say, Oi, what you doing on our street? Get off our street, mate. And I was like, um, sorry, didn't mean to bother you. I'll just be on my way. It's like, that's right, mate. You better get out. And they just like started shouting at me. And then one of the guys, and they, I could see that they were like totally pissed drunk, like super drunk. And one of them pulls a steak knife, a steak knife on me. And he starts threatening to stab me with a steak knife. Now, I don't know what inspiration brought this upon me, but I had the weird idea. I was like, okay, what if I pretend that I'm Brazilian and start speaking in Portuguese? Maybe that will confuse him. So then I started saying, oh, colisense, no entendi, eu brasileiro, like things like this. Because I lived in Brazil for a little while, so I know, you know bits and snatches of Portuguese. The, his buddy was really into He's like, oh, you're from Brazil, Pele, Pele, do you know Pele? He's like really like, getting excited because like he loves Pele. And then the other guy just standing there with a knife, just like a, a look of utter bewilderment on his face, just so confused. He's like, wait a minute. Just a minute ago, you were speaking English, and now you don't understand what I'm saying. You're like, you could just see like his mind racing, like he's just trying to figure this out. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, don't mess with me, man! I'll kill you right here!" And then, <laughs> and then I just stared him down, like not reacting to his his aggression. And then, yeah. he ch and then he chucks the knife away from where we're standing, a good twenty yards over a fence, and then starts hugging me. Oh, Jeffrey, you know I was kidding, Jeffrey. I wouldn't hurt you, Jeffrey. Now, I didn't introduce my, myself as Jeffrey to him, so I don't know where he got Jeffrey from. So he starts hugging me, and then he says, Oh, Jeffrey, by the way, we're going up the hill to a party. Do you want to join us for a party, Jeffrey? And then, and then I started speaking English, like, sorry, I don't have time. <laughs> and he, he was he was done. He was totally, totally done. But yeah, uh, so yeah, but that's that state change is very powerful. Yeah. Like, if the, you can change that, the narrative, they, it really throws him for a curve. It just changes people's pattern. People, unless they're an actual, like I, I teach target hardening with uh, one of my mates who's a CP officer. And unless people are actual bad guys that have a plan to inflict damage, if they're just doing it on a whim or, or right. just, they've just decided, 
you can interrupt their pattern and change their their plan if they're a proper bad guy interrupting the pattern won't work but at least then you'll learn something else has to be done here but right. you're not going to do any of that if you're not like yourself you stay perfectly calm when it's two scottish guys are shouting in glasgow right like where you shouldn't have been in the first right. place <laughs> shouldn't have been there uh, what was i doing in glasgow through 11 o'clock at night that was yeah. a really really bad idea <laughs> yeah at least you know you live and learn yeah yeah oh thankfully, thankfully. you <laughs> yeah. don't always get to live and learn but that that time i got lucky yeah yeah so if you could before we before we go if you could share a little bit about some testimonials on how you help businesses really ascend to the next level because you're not just a life coach and motivational speaker you're also a business consultant where you help businesses overcome their limitations as far as what they think their brand is capable of and just broadening their their vision for the future because like one really cool mental exercise that i heard of um was saying that you know take your 10-year plan and then ask yourself okay how could i do this 10-year plan in the next six months you yeah. know that's that's impossible but it, it invokes a different way of thinking so i'm just curious like do you have any stories like that you can share with our listeners uh as far as like how you've really helped businesses transform what they thought was possible for them and overcome their limitations uh, well, the last one is uh, my mate now has a gym, and when we first talked, he had a five-year plan of doing a load of stuff and then creating the ability to open up a gym, and then what he would do with a gym was about a year and a half of building it to get it to a point, and I asked the same question, like, how could we do this faster? Right. What is, what is it that, that's actually holding you back? Because a lot of the time, people have a, a five-year plan. So think of it this way, if I give you a project, most people that have went to school will have done something like this. You're told you have five weeks to complete this project and it will take five weeks and you do nothing right. for four and a half weeks. Right. And then right. you're like, oh God, I have to do this project. And you get a five week project done in four days. And the same thing goes for, if I said you, you have an hour to do this, I want you to do this here we thing here, but it's going to take you an hour. And then I land back and say, actually, the building's closing in 40 minutes. Uh, finish wow. up there. You'll get it done in 40 right, minutes. Right, right. So, so true. It's, so it's where you, you put your attention. So a lot of people, the 10-year plans and five-year plans are, are amazing, obviously. But for me, a lot of people work on why they can't achieve it, why they have to take 10 years because of the reasons that are going to hold them back. So. Right. So for me, for example, I wanted to become really good at memory and everything I looked at said it will take you six months to like memorize a deck of cards, to learn the, the logic system, to learn everything. So instead of doing that, I just found the guy that's the top person on memory, uh, Ben Cardall. Okay. And I just contacted Ben and was like, how fast can you teach me how to memorize stuff? And we worked solid for a week, and then by the end of the week, I could do a Rubik's wow. Cube, I could memorize a deck of cards, I, everything. Wow. So what I do is I, I get them to set their plan before I get there. So if we were working together, you you have your plan before I get there, and I basically get you to – you have to justify to me why this takes 10 years. And if you can't, you won't. Right. You'll talk yourself out of it. You'll, you'll right. say – like say for the gym, for example – I need to set up a Facebook page. That's going to take like a week or so to do that. We and you're like, do that in right. three hours if you just knuckle down and do it. So then you get that done. Oh, I need to share it and get it. Get my friends liking it. They're going to have to talk to everybody. And you're like, no. You just send out a generic message to everybody you know. Go on. I've opened a gym. Go on, like and share it. The right. people that are backing you will do it. So there's two weeks worth of work, and we've done that in an hour and a half by the end of it. So true. So true. And also people underestimate the value of just getting started. They, yeah. they have this mindset where they have to have everything perfect. And they say, okay, once I have it perfect, then I'm going to get it started. Like, for example, this podcast, I didn't always have this setup. I didn't have these headphones and this microphone the way I have it. Like, it's yeah. kind of nice and studio quality. My original setup was on a laptop that I literally dug out of the trash speaking on a microphone that I borrowed from a guy that I'm pretty sure was on meth and <laughs> <laughs> and the recording quality 
sound awful. It sounded like I was talking out of a mic, like a, a tin can packed with Play-Doh. It was connected to a yarn string that was connected to a boot inside of an aquarium filled with mayonnaise. It was awful. <laughs> it was so bad that I started anyway. Now, I took those original recordings down because I wanted the the general recording quality to be, you know, standardized. But yeah. I got started. And that's the important point. People need to overcome this idea that it has to be perfect. It's like, no, you need to get started. And you yeah. will you will grow as you 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 go. Like are, are you familiar with the experiment of the the, the 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 artist the art class with the group A and group B with the clay pots. Yeah. Yes. Cause, so could you explain that to to our listeners because it's a really interesting experiment. Is it? This is the experiment where they they had two of them that had to design what they were going to create with this clay. Well, yeah. It was that group A was graded by making the best. Uh, clay pot possible like the most geometrically perfect pot with the best design and group b just needed to create like 50 pots yeah so the group b was just cranking out pots like one after the next because they just had a number that they had to hit yeah. it was either 50 pots or like 50 pounds of pots i'm not really sure and group a just had to make one pot perfectly and group A scored lower than group B on the general quality of the pots they were producing because group B had way more practice. Yeah. So it's just really emphasizing the power of practice is so much better than perfectionism. Yeah. I, I think of it like whenever I started my podcast, I started, I do a podcast every day, just me speaking to, uh, to my phone mm. uh, and hopefully listeners. <laughs> but uh, I decided I was just going to start on the 1st of January. So I decided a week before it. So and the and like whenever you did it, there was probably not as much information that there is now. Right. So instead of waiting until it was perfect, what I did was just spent a week researching how people create good podcasts. So right. then I knew what I needed to do, like basic stuff like have a quiet room. Stuff that I would never really thought of. I was just gonna start speaking. Like if you do a Facebook live, you very right. rarely think I'm gonna make sure everything's you just add live and you do it. So what what I did for that week was just get me into a position that I could create something that's that was listenable, and then over the last 237 days, I think it is now, I've built, I've grown, and I've changed my equipment a wee bit and the way I edit and all that sort of stuff. So you can the same idea. The I think the clay pot way I must have it described to me differently because it was about the. The, per the people that were trying to make it perfect, half them didn't even end up with a pot. Wow. Because they kept changing what they was doing or they weren't happy with it. They kept, so by the time the time was up, there was people there just with mounds of clay going, I couldn't get it perfect. Whereas, like you said, the ones that were just churning it out, whenever they looked at their pots, they had uh, progressively better pots as they went because right. like, they just they had practice of doing it. They became um, just better at it in that yeah. way yeah. so if you ever think you're going to get something perfect you're never going to finish it it's never absolutely. going to finish absolutely and also this this concept of talent is way way overrated uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of this book but it's called bounce yeah, and it's right you've read bounce so perfect yeah. so like yeah it just it dispels the myth that there's this natural talent that people have yeah. and it's really it's like no all of those people that you see that perform these amazing things they did it through endless practice sure yeah. some people have natural ability that that shortens the learning curve but nobody gets to mastery without practice there's no exceptions yeah there's no exceptions there's actually a book called talent is overrated as well that fits mm. well with points just whenever you said about talent being overrated but yeah i agree that the if you look at the people i spent my youth with and look at what i do now you would never have made that connection that's like that i didn't even do i wasn't allowed in pe so i didn't do any sport when i was younger and now that's all i do i didn't read a book until i was 16 and now i've wrote a book so you can't overcome any of it it's just you find the right training, a right practice, and then you just 
do it constantly. Mm. Yeah, and practices like the right practice is super important. So yeah. also like personal habits are incredibly powerful to yeah. keeping keeping us on our point. So before we go, uh, you know, because this is really the, like the last series of questions. If you could just run us through, what does a typical day look like for Liam? When you wake up in the morning, like what's the first thing you do? And like, how do you keep yourself sharp and focused? So every day is different, but I have routines that are in every day. So when I wake up in the morning, I get up and I do about five minutes just mobility to wake up my body, get it sharp. Most people get up when they trudge their way to coffee. So I don't rely on anything like coffee to wake me. I, I sleep very comfortably. I actually sleep sound. I sleep like I'm dead. I lie flat with mm-hmm. my hands on my chest. I don't move the whole night. Wow. So I, I get up in the morning. I do my mobility. Then I go downstairs and I'll eat something or I'll, I don't check my emails or anything like that straight away. I don't, I don't want to start my day being reactive. So someone right. emails me going, this is a problem, and then I have to react to that. Right. I set up my day for me. I then go and eat and stuff, and then I will do a wee bit of work. Then I will check up on emails and clients and things like that. Uh, later in the day, I'll do like a 20-minute meditation. So I'll just – it could be a, it could be a walk-through meditation. It could be just breathing. It could be Tai Chi. It'll, some form of meditating. Uh, I go to the gym either to do a hard session or a mobility session for an hour. Uh, I usually make some sort of Facebook, I make some sort of social media video based on uh, on my teaching. So again, I try to keep them quite positive. I also do funner videos that I post here and there as well, because right. that's my, I'm not a very serious person. I do a lot of serious work, but I don't maintain a serious, like I'm not serious all the time. Yeah. And at, all my eating is plant-based and healthy. I okay. drink a lot of water. And then at night, I meditate five minutes, um, silent meditation before I go to sleep. And that's why I put down to the fact that I don't move when I go to sleep. I meditate to relax, switch the body off. I lie down, I go to sleep. So mm-hmm. every day I do all of those things. Like the meditations, there's like a lot of people will say, what if you're away from home or what if it's a family wedding or whatever? The meditations are never, ever taken out of my day. The mobility and meditation, that is what I do. There's no there's no difference to that. So I might, like one of the guys I support, Shane, he did running one day and he ran for something like 28 hours or 24 wow. hours or something crazy. And I drove for 18 of those hours, I drove with him. So I got home at seven o'clock in the morning I had a wedding at 10 o'clock that day, so I could have just went to sleep and had three hours and then went to the wedding, but I go home, I do my meditation. I had done my other meditations in the car, but the one before sleep, so I did my five-minute meditation. I slept for 20 minutes, I got up, and then I did everything. I went to the wedding, and I spent a day at the wedding, and then just... So the meditations never... Like, people that, that come to me with, with different anxieties or, or stress... They do something every day that causes them stress or anxiety, but they don't do something every day that alleviates mm. stress or anxiety. So, right. um, yeah, that's my, in a nutshell, that's my day. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions on what meditation is. And I, and I briefly covered it. Well, I covered it in an episode about meditation, but if yeah. you could share in your own words, a, like what meditation is because a lot of people have this this idea that meditation is a spiritual practice or it's a religious practice and there's all this kind of airy fairy stuff that may or may not be true but it doesn't really play a, a meaningful role in yeah. the benefits that we gain from meditation like you know i've heard people say about oh it's about aligning yourself with the kundalini of mother earth and recharging your chakras and remembering past lives and like okay maybe but that's i'm just trying to be more productive today i'm trying i'm just trying to yeah. be less stressed you know i'm not really too worried about the the fact that maybe i was a a 16th century pirate or something like that you know yeah. the, the thing about do, people doing past lives and stuff how many people were like a general there should only right. be one there should be right. only one person that was that general in a past life right. otherwise it makes no sense 
Yeah, so like where, I, where are all the street sweepers? Where, where are yeah. all the peasants that were just shoveling horse manure all day long? Yeah. Like, who, I've never, I've never met somebody who said, yeah, in a past life, I was this peasant boy and I lived in a stable with the horses yeah. and I died of pneumonia. It's like, I never hear that. I never met yeah. that guy. But there's so uh, many more of those guys, you know? Yeah. They're, they're, they're always someone. Off somebody important. Yeah. But, so, I've, yeah. I've met, I've met so many kings and queens and emperors and yeah. like an amazing artist <laughs> i'm super lucky obviously and they, <laughs> and they must never ask each other what we use because they might say something that um i was napoleon and you go god i was napoleon as well and you're like debunk it. wait a minute so we're the same person uh-huh. yeah <laughs> So we're, we're getting off topic. So meditation. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's pretty funny, though. Uh, for me, me, meditation is anything that you do that you actively focus on yourself. So right. going for a massage where you just lie there and think about yourself and you're treating yourself is meditation. Taking a, a, a walk where you just focus on walking is meditating. A lot of people will say to me, I can't switch off to meditate. But right. for me, that's wrong. You don't... Like, you, you don't switch off to meditate. You meditate to switch off. Right. So I take my meditation practice into everything I do. And, and for me, the more you do something that de-stresses you, even if all you did is breathe in and breathe out, and just say to yourself, breathe in, breathe out. People will say, I can't meditate. You go, just, can you say breathe in, breathe out with your eyes closed whilst you breathe? Yeah, well, then you're meditating. Mm. So you just do that and focus on that for even just set an alarm for five minutes. Yeah. You do that. That is five minutes of your day that you're taking to de-stress yourself. If you Absolutely. can, if you're willing to put yourself in stressful situations like a job that you hate or or a partner that you don't get on with, but you feel you've spent too much time with them to give up, take five minutes at least of your day to focus on yourself and just just sit and breathe and and relax. So to me, meditation is anything that you do that is just for you, that you actually focus and pay attention to what your body feels like, how you breathe, how you move, all that sort of stuff. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Liam, it has been a pleasure and an honor having you here on the Alpha Buddha. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have any anything, any projects that you're working on that you'd like the, the listeners to know about before you go? Uh, I have a website called Limitation is a Mirage and there's a load of free mp3s that help you relax or get confidence or, or focus that people can just download that are listening to this and you can get my book as well uh, on there and then throughout all my social media I'm constantly posting I post my own podcast every day and then I do live videos on training and stuff every day so um, if anyone has any questions or wants to know a bit more detail about anything I do they can just send me a message I'm very open to uh, chatting to anyone like that's how we got speaking I'm very yeah, open to absolutely. talk to you're very approachable anyone. yeah so yeah. yeah just find me uh, as the prove it guy or limitation is a mirage and yeah awesome well again thank you much thank you so much for, for being a part of this this episode and I'd like to thank everybody listening You you could have been listening to anything else but you decided to listen to this and I deeply appreciate it. We'll catch you next time.